Hawkeyes. I'm Reagan. And I'm Jose. And we're the undergraduate bo student body president and vice president at the University of Iowa. And welcome to USG for You, the podcast. On this episode, we were able to connect with Sarah Hansen, the University of Iowa's vice president for student life, to talk about wellness, resiliency, and all of the work that her office has been doing to support students over the last year. We're so excited to kick off our podcast with this awesome guest, and we really hope you guys enjoy the conversation. Okay. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for joining us. We're so excited to have you. Yeah, um, happy to be here. Can you first just like explain a little bit about what the Vice President for Student Life is? What does your office do? And most importantly, how does your work impact students? Yeah, so really, I'm the Vice President over what's called the Division of Student Life. And um, when you break that down, there's about 13 to 15 different departments, depending on how you define things, all of which directly impact the student experience. So everything that we do in some way, shape or form helps to shape the student experience, support you holistically, help you get connected and find people who matter to you and really kind of help you integrate your experience so that it's not just your classwork, but also what's happening outside the classroom that kind of forms the whole of your experience. So that's what the division does. The Office of the Vice President has some um, staff that kind of focus on uh, initiatives across the whole division. So several of our staff members lead things that, that link different departments together in collaboration. So Maria Bruno is a good example of that. And Dr. Bruno oversees both the cultural centers, but also um, the Rape Victim Advocacy Program, RAC, and student disability services. So across all of those, that certainly hits a lot of our priorities around diversity, equity, inclusion, and helping students have an experience that supports their feelings of belonging. Um, and so you've had this job for over, just over a year, is that right? Yes, a year, April 1st. Oh, sweet, almost coming up. Um, <laughs> So most of the work you've done has happened during um, COVID-19 yep. um, and our campus operating almost entirely virtual. Mm -hmm. um, so what has this adjustment kind of been like for you and your entire department as a whole? Um, and what have you guys kind of learned from that? Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, y'all know some of our work and it's really relational work. A lot of our work is developing relationships with students and mentoring and sort of helping them navigate this environment. And so <clears throat> we're used to doing that in person, uh, but I think one of the things we've learned is that we can do it pretty effectively virtually if we have to, even though it might not be our preference. Um, so we've learned that, uh, but yes, to your point, your first point, really almost all of my job so far has been virtual. Um, so I haven't really had any in-person events, except at the very end of the semester, we had a rainbow graduation um, and then the event at Kinnick. Um, my first, I think, in-person remarks were at rainbow graduation where there are actual 3D human beings in the room. And that was pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> sorry. And so it's just been, it's been a challenge. Uh, both from the personnel standpoint, but also from the budget standpoint. So when we had to close the residence halls and we closed rec services and all those things, the division of student life, all those departments that I mentioned, we had you know, probably around uh, 
30 to $40 million loss financially that we had to try to cover without, hopefully without having folks have to lose their jobs, which is what our focus has been. Um, I think another thing that we've learned that really relates to you and your work is that instead of thinking of whether students are engaged as a yes, no question, I think it's helped us really see engagement as a continuum because mm -hmm. we know that there are students who've participated in things like university lecture committee events or CAB events virtually, and mm -hmm. they probably wouldn't have ever felt comfortable maybe leaving their room, walking down to the IMU, walking into a room with people they don't know. And so it's kind of allowed us to invite people in to be connected and engaged and then to use services like mental health services that might've felt too intimidating in person. So one of the things we've talked about as a staff that we don't wanna lose is that part of that continuum that we're still providing um, kind of low lift ways for students to still get connected and engaged and maybe dip their toe into some things that might um, take them further on engaging. That is so awesome. And I hadn't thought about, I've been trying to think a little bit about the positives of the pandemic, just from an academic perspective, like people are excited about um, online office hours or recorded lectures. So it's, it'll be really interesting to see the way we go back to normal, but you know that I'm excited about this. So students might not, but um, you've been talking a lot about wellness, well-being. How do we be as healthy as we possibly can in every aspect of our life? Uh, can you talk a little bit about why focusing on wellness is important for students? What can students do to support their wellness? Mm -hmm. And why are you, why do you think you're the first person in this position to really um, start this conversation? Hmm. I'll have to think about that last part, but why I think it's important. I really, you know, the things that we hope happen for you during your time as an undergrad, specifically for you two, but also as a grad student, professional mm -hmm. student, any of the students that we work with, is that you, you know, gain new knowledge and skills, um, are able to apply that in new settings, but really also that you grow as human beings and you become more of who you want to be and who you, who you hope to be. And that process, I think, involves your whole self. It doesn't just involve your intellectual um, capacities. It's also about forming connections with humans, thinking about your place in the planet, um, figuring out what your purpose is. And the reason that I think wellness and well-being have to be a part of that is that there are some foundational kinds of things that you need to be able to to start to figure out. I don't think you ever figure any of them out completely. That's, that's important to say, but you kind of have to know, you know, what do you get energy from? What drains your energy? What kind of movement helps you feel good in your body? What kind of movement doesn't, what kind of foods help you fuel? Um, how much caffeine should you not be drinking? All of those kinds of things. Um, so just that, that process of self-discovery uh, is important and it gives you a foundation that then allows you to kind of fly beyond that. Um, you know, we kind of have always heard about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And if you think about the top of that pyramid, which is about really becoming kind of your whole self at the living your best life to quote the kind of cliche, you have to do a lot of other things prior to that. And I think part of our role in the division of student life is to help you do all those things that help mm -hmm. you build up to that um, 
process of trying to, you know, act on your passion and live purposely in the world in a way that makes sense to you. Um, I, you know, this has been a part of my whole career, the focus on wellness and well-being, and it's a part of who I am personally too. Um, just a real focus on being present in my life and in my experiences and doing things that help to balance my energy in and energy out. It's, you know, I'm 56. I just turned 56. Um, and that's taken me a long time to get to. And so I certainly don't expect y'all to have it by the time you graduate. But I think part of talking about this is also removing the idea that you're ever perfect right. or ever finished. And I think that part of the reason I like to talk about it and talk about the parts that are challenging for me or the times that I've failed is because I think we have to kind of really do more in our culture and in the University of Iowa culture to normalize being human yeah. and the struggles that come with it and the joys that come with it as well. No, yeah, I, I really, I really enjoyed that uh, you touched on how it's kind of like this, this, it takes a while, it takes practice, it definitely takes a very long time to be able to understand how you feel, what makes you feel good, and releasing negative energy, and then bringing back positive energy back into your, into your body, because um, I know I'm, <laughs> I'm still figuring that out as well, I try, I try my best, Absolutely. I am too, I am too, yeah, um, it's practice. <laughs> So also you and Connor, um, who is the former USG president, um, worked on to start the planning for the wellness center on campus. Mm -hmm. um, we're kind of interested in knowing how that conversation started um, and what the UI community would kind of expect from, from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the good news is there's still a lot to be um, dreamed of and designed within that. And so I hope that you all will be a part of that conversation and, and invite um, your constituents in to be a part of it. But the, the whole thing started really from a problem, which is that we have three pretty active and busy services that are located in a building that um, isn't really able to withstand, you know, the next 50 years of what those, those facilities need. And that's the Westland building. And so as a result of that challenge that we needed to solve, part of what we started to talk about was instead of just finding homes for each of them without really thinking about what we would dream of trying to accomplish, we wanted to think about what, what if we were able to, what if we were building it from scratch? Mm -hmm. If we were building it from scratch, setting this campus up, and we wanted to act on our values of supporting the whole student, what might we build? And that's where we got to this place of let's, let's create a space that co-locates these things so that they can be better integrated, so that the student experience can be easier and more seamless, and so that there can be space within that building that students really help to shape that is also self-directed space so that the message of the building is not that the only time, that the only way to get help is mm -hmm. to meet with a professional. It's certainly, we have great professionals and it is certainly a, a strategy and one that I've used in my life at certain points, um, but it's not the only way. And part of, of this journey is also, again, like you said, kind of figuring out 
ourselves and what works for us and what strategies we can enact on our own. So my hope is that that self-directed space might include things like, you know, stuff for de-stressing and creativity and kind of all of the different elements that help us um, ground ourselves, relax, center, kind of figure out where we need to be putting our attention. So there's a lot to come. And so we'll stay in dialogue about how people can be involved in, in really figuring out what that, that whole building, how it's set up and how it can be as student focused as possible. It is super exciting. Like I'm gonna have, I'm so looking forward to it. Too. Something between, sometime between when we worked together and I was, when you were in the provost office and I was, didn't know you that well, terrified of you, you ran, or you were gonna be VPSL. <laughs> and, and now when I'm working with you in this capacity, I started following you on Instagram. Uh-huh. I just want to tell every student to follow you on Instagram because um, on multiple occasions, you've really shown up in a way that I think is vulnerable and real. And um, I think I am speaking for myself, but I'm hoping other students are feeling that same connection of you're a person. And um, I've been in student government for a while and it feels like people who are in that VP role are not always people. They're important and scary. Um, so I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit about some of those failures that you've talked about, um, how'd you learn to be so vulnerable and then how has resiliency, you know, that kind of resiliency played a really important part. That's yeah. a lot of questions. So no, do it's okay. what you will. <laughs> no, I was, I was actually just reading. I was, so I write a division of student life communication every two weeks to our staff. And I try to include either something I'm reading, something I'm watching. And, you know, sometimes it's stupid. Like one thing I was watching was the great British breaking show, you know, it's like, <laughs> so it, and then sometimes it's really, you know, mm-hmm. deep stuff. But the thing that I talked about um, that I was reading was this article about leading through uncertainty. And one of the, there were like five or six steps, six, six leader behaviors. And one was about getting rid of perfectionism. And the thing that I reflected on is that that is really not an issue for me. I don't. And I think that part of the reason is that I think we need to stop using that word in the way that we do, because what I reflected on is that I think people use the word perfectionism when they mean, I'm really upset when I fail, or I'm really disappointed in myself when I don't act the way I wanted to, or I'm really, I have a hard time when I don't get what I want. That's not perfectionism. That's just being human, you Mm -hmm. know? And so part of, of my process of being vulnerable is just really trying to help everyone understand things that I didn't understand at your age. I think there's a ton of shame with failure. And Mm -hmm. I know that because I felt it as a failing student, as a student who flunked out of the University of Iowa as an undergrad, I did everything I could at that time to not get any attention because Mm -hmm. the last thing you want when you're feeling like you're not getting you know, not doing well is having someone seek you out and say, you're really not doing well. We need to talk. Um, But I also believe in all of the kind of safety structures and support structures we've built over time that I think lessen the likelihood of that happening to someone else. Um, You know, 
if all the things that were in place now were in place when I was an undergrad, I actually don't think I probably would have flunked out of Iowa because I would have felt seen and supported earlier in a way that wouldn't have let that kind of just become this downhill, you know, it just gets so hard, so overwhelming to dig out of that hole. Um, So there's that. And then I think, I mean, I guess you'd have to ask people who know me, but I just am kind of a really blunt, honest person. Um, Some of that comes from being 56 years old and not really caring what people think of me. In terms of I am who I am, not everyone likes me. There are students who don't like me, who don't appreciate me, who, you know, don't agree with decisions that I've made. I completely understand that. I am, you know, everyone's not everyone's flavor. And so, but I think what I try to hope is that whether folks agree with decisions I've made or not, that they have an understanding that my goals are to support students. We might disagree about the tactics or the strategies for getting there, but um, what I hope isn't ever in question is that I'm trying to do the right thing for you. Um, So yeah, but just failure. I'd love to strike perfectionism from our language because I think it's really about really honest, normal feelings. I don't think there's anyone who would say, I really love it when I don't meet my goals. Right. Or I get super, I am super happy when I don't act in a way that's aligned with my values. So if we could stop calling that, you know, or striving towards goals perfectionism, I think we would kind of bring a kinder energy to ourselves too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's, see, that that's like a very important concept too, mm-hmm. because I know, I know how you mentioned like people don't always say, um, I'm glad I didn't meet my goals, but I also yeah. think that not meeting your goals, failure comes learning. It's yes. from your failures, you, you, you grow from your failure. Absolutely, failure. yeah. You use all of that to kind of meet your goals next time. Yeah, um, to refine too, yes. exactly. Um, Maybe your goal wasn't the right goal. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. you know? and then you have to kind of alter how you look at it and find a different way to go exactly. around whatever it is that you failed at doing. Exactly. But, and, yeah. then, and of course, it's easier said than done because uh, I know that's that's something I still I still do as well. We all um, do. Whole, we all do. Thing. Um, but kind of touching on the same subject subject um, about sharing failures, sharing experiences. Um, I wanted to kind of ask how important do you think it is for people to share their own personal challenges um, with others? And what do you think it accomplishes and how does it help them? I think it's really important. And that's, you know, first of all, Reagan, it makes me smile that you like my Instagram because one of the most popular things I ever did was do the failure thing where people could write in about something that they failed or flubbed or, you know. I think about it like once a month, seriously. Oh, that's so sweet. (laughs) And I I had quite a few students to be honest, quite a few students that messaged me about just that, like saying, you're the first person that I know in a, like a real job who's done that. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's just critical. And ultimately I think it's about normalizing the human experience and not creating these expectations, which, you know, I think we definitely have social media also doesn't help with some of that, with the comparison culture, with the kind of collection of experiences rather than curating, like what you really want in your life. Um, so I just think that it's, it's really important. And in some ways, 
um, I was reading, I read another book that I really liked that has, has the bad word in it that I think I shared with you. Maybe it's okay. how to stay human in an effed up world is the name <laughs> of the book. Yeah. And it's Tim Desmond. And he talks about that when you're feeling bad or that we all have compassion for our friends in ways that we don't have compassion for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that if you comfort your friend when they're failing, um, and then you're hard on yourself when you're doing the same, that there, there's something disconnected about yeah. that. And he talks about comforting yourself and others, the way you would comfort a crying baby. And it's like, if you had a crying baby, you wouldn't like sit there and like harangue them for failing. You would like be kind and calm mm -hmm. and help them understand it's okay to be upset. And I've just kind of come back to that again and again of that self-compassion as a critical part. And then the other reason, Jose, to your question is this is a really big place, but yeah. I hope that sharing and, and encouraging you all to share with each other also can create a sense of community in these places. And sometimes that's, you know, the smaller pockets that we have, right. uh, cultural centers or a student org or something. But if you can't be human with the people that you spend most of your time with, then that's a pretty challenging existence. And so the more that I think we can, as faculty and staff, make that safe and okay for you all to do, um, which is not easy for, for some of us either. I think that's just a, the kind of community I wanna be a part of. Yeah, that's so awesome. Like, yeah, lots of thoughts about, when you start thinking about perfectionism as a way of connect, like it's a, it's a vehicle to connection and to purpose and to being exactly. good enough. Right. And like when you start yes. and when your friends are being perfectionist, you can yell at them and say like, yeah, no, you are awesome. I want to spend all my time with you, but it's hard to do that for yourself. So, right. Yeah. I think I'm going to stop using that word, Sarah. You convinced me. I hadn't thought about that till today. And yeah. by the way, you didn't say you were scared of me in the provost's office, did you? A little. You led the student success meeting. You co-chaired with Cornelia and oh, so you were, funny. it was right when you were like going to start doing VPSL stuff and you were pretty into, you're a pretty big deal. Wow. Okay. So it's, it's hilarious that I ever, I mean, like no offense at all. I, it's so funny to me that I was ever so I'm glad to hear that. What's Sarah Hansen going to think that, about like, me? I, I, yeah, I never, I always thought well of you, uh, both of well, you. That's good. That feels it's really so good. funny to think well, that, but we do that all the time. So. Right. Right. You had no big, you had no idea how much, no one thinks about the people that think they're a big deal. You think about people oh, you think gosh, are a big deal. No. Yeah. Never, never. Yes. Okay. This is a fun one. When you were an undergrad, when you enrolled at Iowa at 18, what did you think you were going to do? And then how did you find your way to being the vice president for student life? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> so in my senior, so I, when I graduated from high school, they did this little magazine -y thing. It was actually a newspaper because we were like poor in our school. Um, and it had our picture and our favorite song, which was some <laughs> stupid song. And then um, a quote, which was a stupid quote. And then I think what we wanted to be. Uh -huh. And I think I said a counselor. And um, so when I started, I was in a social work major. And then I ended up moving to sociology after I came back having flunked out. Um, and then uh, ended up in graduate school for counselor education. Uh -huh. So I, I was still kind of heading down that road. 
um, specifically at that time focusing on substance abuse counseling. Mm -hmm. And then in my very first semester, um, knowing that, you know, I said earlier, our relation, our work is relational. My advisor happened to have a relationship with someone in student wellness. They were working on a grant together around college substance use. And I got to do a practicum over there and that like changed my mm -hmm. world. Um, and the thing that has been the thread, regardless of like what content area has been that I really think that it's the most important, yeah. awesome job in the world to get to work with students. Um, and so whether I focused on, you know, provost office stuff or assessment or wellness or all the different things that we do now, the common denominator has been a love for college students and the challenge and intellectual curiosity and passion um, that you all bring. And just it's you know, it's different every day. And so that's how I got there. There's lots of steps in between, but the common thread has been students. And then the common thread I think has been an ability, something that I, I think I do do well is develop relationships. Yeah. And those have, I think, led to other opportunities for me over time. Yeah. Full circle on the wellness stuff. Yes. That's I awesome. Know. And you probably brought it with you in the provost office and everything. I think so. Yeah. It's and just Tanya, funny that we're sitting here. And yeah. That the Tanya Vilhauer used to work for me. There's a bunch of people on campus that worked for me either as students. Oh, or, really? Um, yeah. That's Steph Pichelle. Really? Crazy. I had her as a student in class and she worked for me as, as a student worker at, uh, at student health and yeah, a bunch of different people, Angie Reams. Yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah. It's fun. It's like a family tree of people <laughs> that I'm super proud of. They're all yes. amazing people. You know, we have cool. We have awesome there. people. Yeah. Okay. Time for two truths and a lie. So I think I'm just going to read them and then okay. Jose can guess, I'll guess, and then you can tell us. All right. And then we're also going to post it on the Instagram so that before people listen, hopefully they <gasps> can guess. So okay. this is all part of a, a higher plan. A but grand scheme. Yes. Sarah's okay. two truths and a lie are number one, her oldest son has been on national television multiple times. Number two, she has never traveled outside the United States, but it's been her dream. And number three, her husband and her are both left-handed, but her sons are not. Jose, do you have a guess? Um, I'm going to have to go with, I feel like you've, you've traveled outside of the U.S. That was mine too. I, my guess was the United States. It seems, but it seems like the obvious choice. Well, I'm not supposed to put the, the lie third. That's what I read when I looked for strategies. <laughs> so I didn't. And it was the fact that I have traveled outside the U.S. You have. I, I, I figured, where have you been? Other two. I've been to Canada and then I've been to my dream trip. We took a couple of years ago for our 30th wedding anniversary. It was um, England. So London, uh, Wales, which mm -hmm. is kind of my heritage oh, background, cool. and then, uh, France. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, yeah. You traveled. It was everything. amazing. Yeah. That was amazing. So that is awesome. Yeah. Well, we'll see if most students get it right or wrong. You said Connor got it wrong. Connor got it wrong. What did he guess? I think he guessed the travel one, that that was a truth. I don't oh. know. I think he guessed the left-handed maybe was a lie. 
that's pretty weird. Is that yeah. a genetic thing or they don't know? I, everyone had told us that our kids would be left-handed because we were, but I guess it's not a dominant. It's that's not a dominant. really good fun fact. Yeah. That's a weird one. It is. And then Evan was, was on ABC world news tonight for helping. He was a person of the week. For oh helping God. Adam Todd from Cedar Rapids, uh, a student who has a has some disabilities, helped him finish a cross country race in Cedar Rapids, Aww. and then he was on the top ten at ten for ESPN, which was much bigger of an accomplishment than being an ABC Person of the Week for him. He was excited to have been on ESPN. So, so he yeah. for, for high school sports. For, for that act of helping. Oh, wait, helping that is Adam. so awesome. Yeah. Oh, and that was so like cool. super viral. And he yeah. even like, he had an interview. Um, he didn't end up being a guest, but like with the Ellen DeGeneres show oh, and God. all these other shows and interviews and awards and stuff. And so, yeah, it was just super sweet. He just, this kid, um, Adam Todd, who we still are in touch with their family. Uh, Adam came to Evan's high school graduation that Adam has uh, epilepsy and some autism and he gets distracted. He runs cross country. He usually has someone that helps him, mm -hmm. um, but he kept wandering off the course. And so Evan brought him back a couple of times and then they ran the, the last mile and a half of this cross country race hand in hand. Aww. And the coach of the other, Adam's coach filmed it and it ended up kind of oh. just going that has so. to be like one of the absolute best things anyone's ever been on national television for. It was, it was a proud mom, That's proud awesome. parent moment. I got it. Like tell seriously. So, so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. So um, we want to thank you, Sarah, for coming on here. Of course. We were really excited. So glad we got to talk to you um, and appreciate you sharing with us and the rest of the UI community as well. So. Well, thanks for doing this and thanks for letting me be your first and I'm sure it will only continue to get better. And I think it's great that y'all are doing this and just trying to, to humanize those of us that maybe sit behind the desks and make decisions that impact students. And, you know, one of the things I want folks to know is that I really am available. You know, you can message me on Instagram. You can, if you want to send me an email, um, or stop by. I really do love to talk to students and want to hear your ideas of how we can make this a better place too. Follow the Instagram. I'll, I'll be the first plug. Thank you. Yeah. I want to get a lot of more followers. So follow, follow me on Instagram. You must be in the right place. I'm sure you'll just get so many followers after Because <laughs> this will be national. Right. right. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Follow Sarah on Instagram at, at HawkeyeVPSL and visit Undergraduate Student Government's Spotify page to listen to Sarah's Desert Island playlist, where she has given us five songs that she'd listen to on repeat if she was on a desert island. Thank you for listening to USG for You with Reagan and Jose, and join us bi-weekly to stay updated on new episodes and connect with people from all across campus.